The only school that teaches you about money is the school of hard knocks. Until now. You need to learn this business, and this is the time to do it. Become an insider. So you have to know the rules before you get in the game. Welcome to the Money MBA Podcast. Oh, have I got your attention now? Where you'll learn how to be a master of money. There's so many ways to make money today. Let me show you in two seconds flat why the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Now here's your host, Jonathan Katsmita. Welcome to the Money MBA Podcast. We're back here, part two, with Tavi Costa of Crestcat Capital. Please be sure to check out the first part of this interview. But without further delay, let's get right into it. We've been talking about a lot of things, very much gold-related, recession-related. We continue that conversation here. I really enjoyed speaking with Tavi, full of knowledge, full of wisdom, and hopefully we can have him back on the show in the future, because clearly, as you can tell from both part one and here in part two, we're just hitting the tip of the iceberg of all the information Tavi has to share. So let's get started with part two of this interview on the Money MBA podcast. Uh, the point about recessions that I was making is look at what happened last week now or this week of a downward revision of, of the Bureau of uh, Labor Statistics on, on non-farm payrolls. It was a 500,000 uh, downward revision on that number. Uh, How did they get it that wrong? I mean, that that's normal, actually. Usually, that's why recession recessions uh, are lagging indicators is because um, it's the you got to watch for the revisions. We could have might be in a or we could be in a in a recession in 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 uh, you know in, in in the first quarter of 2019. We don't know. Those numbers might all get revised. You know, unemployment rate might get revised higher. We don't know. Um, that happened in 08. Uh, the last time we had such a, a large preliminary revision, uh, uh, downward revision, was in November of, of 08, for instance. So, you know, you never know when uh, maybe, you know, uh, uh, we definitely see some some uh, deteriorating macro indicators in general and fundamentals in companies. And and so the data is there as far as 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 some problem. What is not there is asset prices that keep going higher and investors keep saying that, you know, that, you know, and maybe, you know, the money is going to fly, continue to fly towards uh, equities because there's, you know, there's no other game in town. I think there is one game in town that's gold, um, um, you know, and some people may say, well, there's Bitcoin, too, and there, there's treasuries as well. I, you know, you can you can create a, a, a portfolio kind of diversifying on those what you consider safe havens. And in, in our view, gold deserves a higher allocation to it uh, right now. And, it, you know, it's been a, it, it's it's playing out in a very uh, in, in a very interesting way for the last few. Uh, why is gold rising that way? Is it really because because of uh, uh, because the fat is easing? Uh, or is it because we're pricing a higher probability of of of, uh, of a downturn in the economy? I, I take the latter. Um, so I I think that that's what's happening. But anyway, so you have um, you know you mentioned a couple of times the the capital inflows, the flight, the safety, um, you know international investors and just money around the globe coming to the U.S. looking for a safe place, um, and and really in some way or another, it needs to convert into dollars, which is a big part of this liquidity crisis conversation, which is just bullish for the dollar, um, which if you really take a step back again, trying to think 
um, ahead as you do as a macro guy and as a, a fund manager, this is going to put pressure on equities because you're going to have a stronger dollar, um, which is really Trump's whole thing. He's trying to boost the economy by doing his own version of, of a currency war. And you can't fight the hand of the market if everyone's rushing to the dollar. And there's tons of really smart minds in finance um, like Roel Powell and whatnot who've been making this um, bullish dollar case for quite some time. And that this liquidity issue or, or the strength of the dollar is going to be one of the things that really end up breaking the market. Um, and so I think that plays in well to your point about, you know, the business cycle, where we are in terms of equities, the potential for um, a bear market in equities. But the thing that's funny with gold, at least in the U.S., uh, up until recently, we're now at a six and a half year high. I think it closed out just above 1500. Um, it feels like and there's a lot of arguments for it. That gold has just been hammered and manipulated low for so long. And I think the mistake a lot of people make when you have this debate about gold and the equity markets is that they're always looking at it strictly in dollar terms. Do you guys take, a? I would assume, a more macro look? And have you really taken consideration of, of how dollars performed in these other currencies as, as a signal? 100%. And I actually subscribe to that view of, of, of uh, the squeeze on the dollar um, short squeeze on the dollar. I think that that's a, um, that's a, that's a very, um, uh, interesting thesis. And we, uh, we're along the dollar and we're long gold. Uh, we meet with this, uh, Chicago professor, uh, Kevin's professor every, every year. And one day he, he said to us, <laughs> he was like, well, you know, how can you be bullish on gold and bear and, and not in bullish on the dollar? I mean, those things don't go together. And I was like, well, that's a very conventional way to think. And I started really thinking about that. And I was like, I think that's wrong, actually, because I get the idea of it, obviously. But if you're very bullish on things like, uh, you know, the dollar versus the yuan, you know, <laughs> you can have a play on the on gold, you know, and that's exactly how you play this gold and remember terms play, actually. You know, for that to play out, either gold prices have to rise or the dollar has to um, to appreciate versus the yuan. That's very clear. That's math. Um, and and I, I think that that's going to going to be the, the, the play. So uh, it's kind of like the same idea of being long gold and, and selling stocks. You don't know the driver, but I truly believe that this ratio is going to go higher. So then you got to think about how do I position that in a portfolio? Are there ways of really taking a more of an asymmetric bet on, on one of the two? When you're thinking about gold and being long the dollar, I can't think of a better way than doing that with, let's say, Hong Kong dollar, right? I mean, it's so cheap given the low implied volatility of betting against the Hong Kong dollar because it's a pet currency that it, it you know it's it's easy for you to to really have implement that in a portfolio, be long gold in, in, in dollar terms and also be long the dollar versus versus uh, the Hong Kong dollar. And that, you know, if, if there is a deep bag of that, then gold in, in Hong Kong dollars will rise significantly. So, you know, that there are easy ways or, or, or cheaper ways or uh, there, nothing is easy, but there are cheaper ways to uh, uh, to implement those trades. Uh, and, and I think that that's a uh, that's really where um, where the the more realistic view of of the world has to come about. Some some people have really interesting thoughts about what's going to play out, but as a money manager, you got to think, well, how do I play this, right? I mean, uh, um, 
a good example of that, you said about gold being uh, down for so long. Um, we've been in touch with so many money managers that, um, that that like gold stocks for a long time. And I have a feeling that whole industry is just depressed. I, I just I mean that in a, in a big way. Like here, you talk to them, you can tell that they're, they're happy for the performance in the last two or three months. There are so many slap in their faces of 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 like this two to three month bull market, and then things right. fall apart again. Those right. guys have no belief in 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 themselves, and I, I've you know I I kind of know how that works, and I, it's like I was I I listen to their stories, and I'm like, you know I I hear you, and I share the frustration of 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 being down for so long because of the of of a, more of a a macro setup that was never really uh, favorable for gold and precious metals. But I think we're changing that. And when I look at, let's say, mining stocks, for instance, I kind of created this cycle for investing in those companies, um, meaning and it, when I say me, I mean Kevin and I, uh, looking at those companies that really have very good assets, you know, the EV, their their uh, their reserves are really actually higher than, than how much they're being priced in in the market today. Uh, if you have a belief that gold prices and, and silver prices are going to be higher and a lot of those investors are actually um, they're very wary of, of 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 investing in those firms because they know they have they generate negative free cash flow. You know, those guys are probably not going. But I think that the whole industry is going to get consolidated. You know, their big dogs are going to come in and buy those assets because they're so cheap. Uh, and I think that that's the first move of the bull market and the mining companies. If I'm right about this change in in precious metals, and we're going to go through a bull market two to three year bull market here for those, uh, for the entire um, uh, sector. I think that the mining stocks that we should be focusing on at the beginning are those, are the, you know, uh, not the best, the most profitable companies, are the ones that have the good assets, are the ones that pro probably not making money because they can't scale the business yet. But what if somebody else comes in and buy them out at a higher pr a premium and then, you know, and, and, and that, you know, the whole business now becomes scalable and, and, and starts working out. Um, I think that and then you shift towards the more profitable ones, the ones that prove to be more profitable, the ones that really prove that their, their management system is able to uh, to make a, a, a wonderful asset to become profitable for a long period of time of mining that uh, uh, that reserve or whatever that is. So we've been focusing a lot on that. So understanding, you know, what the past was, you know, for the last eight years, those guys have been in a bear market. Some of those companies are down 80, 70 percent from their peak in 2011. It's it's actually sad, right? I mean, you just right. look at those those investors, you're like, wow, my gosh. But I, I I actually think there is a lot of opportunity on the on the very um, um, uh, uh, supposedly not the nicest companies in a profitable in, in a more profitable world, but um, I, I think those companies are going to do really well. They're going to be the first lag of this bull market, if I'm right. And then the second part is going to be the more profitable ones that prove to be uh, good are going to be the ones that you're going to be uh, more involved, the royalty companies and so forth. Um, so I went on and on so many things, but I I'm so the, still yeah 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 I know I I want to let you continue, but um. There's something you said that I think is is really valuable, at least for me. You know, I think it's it's exciting to talk to macro thinkers because they they can see the world where everyone else it's a blur, right? And and they're able to kind of catch these bits and put something together and start to build a theme, a thesis, a narrative, whatever term you want to use for it. But and that's great to listen to, and I I I love 
getting my mind blown by all these thinkers and like, oh, wow, I never even thought about that. And then you start to kind of get into the vortex and you start to see it for the first time yourself. But like you had mentioned, um, you know, trying to time the recession, what you're actually looking for is a bear market. And I think this is great because oftentimes we're so fixated on um, just the number, right? Like what's the S&P today? What's the Dow Jones today? Or what, what did gold trade at? Same thing with the gold argument. Your, your indicator is not necessarily the price. It's helpful. You're seeing some momentum. You can build charts around that. And I love charts as much as the next guy, but I think it's a really cool way of approaching this. Although you're a macro guy, you kind of are taking this bottom-up approach to looking for or identifying the indicators, which in the mining world or in the gold world is you want to see consolidation. Maybe when you start to see that consolidation, that's really, you know, the rocket's about to take off. It's great to see what gold's been doing, but it's done this so many times. Like you said, the sentiment in the industry is just, you know, oh, woe is me. I'm just going to get slapped down again. And so you're really looking for that. What's that one other factor that's going to make this time different? Not to use that cliche, but yeah. it's, it's the potential for some sort of um, fundamental or bottom-up change, right? Where there's this capital capex reinvestment or there's a merger there's this consolidation that makes that industry more efficient again at the same time that the macro narrative is now being supportive because all these other factors are are changing so i'm actually writing down here so i don't forget um because it's a it's a good question in terms of uh and it goes back to that bottom-up approach versus a global macro more of a uh, or top-down approach um you, you you can research as much as you want on a gold company, but if you get the gold price wrong, you're wrong, regardless. Uh, a very, I think there's only one company that was able to actually uh, be up, you know, significantly throughout this uh, bear market and, and the gold mining uh, stock Kirkland was, was, was a good stock. But, but it's very rare to find, you know, companies that do well in a scenario like that. I mean, they're actually profitable. I'm just saying, you got to get underlying security, meaning gold, precious metals move right if you're wrong on that. And so what? why is this time uh, different than the eight years ago? Well, first of all, um, we first we go through phases and I, those people were betting on gold after gold went from, uh, you know, when silver went parabolic, I mean, and, and until 2011. You know, I, I would never I hope I'm never going to be betting on anything that is going parabolic like that. You know, I'm, I'm never going to I'm not never going to be too involved on something like that. I probably I'm probably out already on, on that trade, probably. Um, but uh, so I think that that's a big lesson is is uh, and, and it's a thing that I struggle a lot because I'm uh, relatively young with versus other guys. And I, I have to rely on the data, not on, on, on history of remembering what happened in in, in 2000 and in the 70s, 80s or whatever. But data is available and I can really dive into that and see how, you know, how those bull markets are really sustainable or not. And, and what are the macro indicators that were kind of uh, flashing at that time that kind of uh, alarm you? Hey, you know, there's a bull market coming for gold or or there's some signs of inflation here. Inflation, the whole part of inflation is just a cherry on top, really. If we do have inflation and gold prices rise because of that, great. But if we don't, you know, just the fact that nominal rates are going lower which have a very, very high correlation on inverted bases versus uh, things like gold. You know, I, I think, like you said, well, I think that gold, you know, the yields are going to go a lot lower, probably go to go back to zero, whatever. 
Um, you know, if that happens, well, you know, that's positive for gold. You know, negative interest rates, that's positive for gold. But what about this whole, this entire disbelief now that is kind of awareness of uh, of of uh, of global um, monetary um, uh, a base kind of a, a debasement uh, theme? I think it's it's kind of uh, surging now, and if, if if that really starts to to uh, uh, to become more um, uh, knowledgeable around people in general. I think that that's, you know, the gold is ultimately the asset that has history that people can rely on. If you're a pension fund, you can put a large amount of your money into something you don't have history that you can't really rely on. Like, you know, I, I don't want to pick on any other asset but gold, but gold is the asset that actually has that, uh, all those uh, fundamentals and characteristics that uh, those companies can really um, um, allocate capital towards that. Patient funds are barely ca allocating capital towards precious metals today. You know, we could see that changing quite a lot in the in the near future here. So I think that that's uh, that's a a major part of it is is the lack of allocation on investments like that. Is the lack of trust that things um, are you know are not going to be uh, uh, this is not going to be another bull market. It's just a two to three month bull market that fades. Um, is is the, the actual disbelief on the people that actually have belief in the whole industry. You know, you talk to those guys uh, that have been managing money for gold companies in general, you can hear their frustration in their voices. It's just, it's sad. I'm like, man, I hear you. I think you're going to get it right this time. Right. Um, you know, I really do. Um, so anyways, I think there's so many, uh, um, uh, not just psychological signs, macro signs, um, and, and just fundamentally, I think it makes a lot of sense that um, there's no way around it, especially uh, if we do have a, a economy going south, let's say it's going to be I, I have this is a very apolitical view in terms of elections and all that. What's going to happen with elections is important, even for gold. Um, very likely we're going to see, you know, a change in political uh, environment here if there is a, a, a recession. I mean, it's very hard to see a recession coming in and 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 no changes in, in the party here. So I, I think that that's going to be a. You know, a big change in, in the macro environment, but not just that, but like, what does that mean for precious metals? And, um, you know, it could be very positive and very negative for risk on assets, by the way. Um, you know, it could uh, escalate some issues here, but especially depending on type of leadership we might have in the, in the following years. But um, um, yeah, anyways, I, I think that uh, one thing I wanted to say, I heard your podcast interview with Raul Powell, and I thought one thing Raul Powell said there that I, I, uh, actually relate a lot to that is he said that he was able to build real vision uh because he was he doesn't come from that industry and he was able to kind of uh, disrupt in a way that it wasn't a more conventional way i see the same way with myself in terms of the industry i don't come from ivy league school uh, i you know i i, I come from from studying really hard data and going back and understanding what worked and what didn't work in paper, meaning I don't care if a famous person who got Nobel Prize wrote a nice paper about whatever, I want to make sure that that works for investors and that it's actually a, a implementable way in a portfolio in general. So uh, understanding that and it's, it's, it's all comes about creating those charts of of of, of you know, maybe a more simple way of looking at the world right. uh, and. Being so complex is, you know, you don't gain anything in that business. It's, uh, uh, it's, it. I think it's even hard to translate your views to to investors in general. I just want to make that point of being a disruptive, but not coming from a, uh, you know, a, a more conventional way of of coming, which most people in Wall Street, I would say, come from. Um, well, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad you listened to the interview, and and thanks for referencing that. You, 
you as well as the other people that I've um, interviewed or at least posted the interviews with, I think represent, it's great that you share that point about you because I think you represent, and myself included, this uprising of, of people that don't come from the establishment. And, and that's allowing a lot of great thinkers to, because the data is available. And I think that, you know, I'm primarily in the real estate field as a profession. And one of the things I always try to tell people in our industry is, you know, there's going to be massive consolidation. You're going to be replaced because your value add to the market before was the data, right? And, and you had this, um, you had this monopoly on the data. Now the data is public. It's all over the internet. Anything you want to know about the property trends, the property's history. So if you're a real estate agent per se, you got to really ask yourself, what value am I now providing to the market? And I think in the Wall Street space, you know, you have this argument about passive management, active management, and the active management's kind of gotten slaughtered the last decade because all you had to do is buy index funds. And that works until it doesn't work. But I think people inside that bubble have stopped thinking. And Real Vision does a great job of bringing people like you into the, into the um, forefront. And there's lots of people that are just outside of the system. Maybe they're autodidacts or self-taught or they're just coming from a unique perspective. And I think that's gonna also drive the change. It's gonna drive a fresh narrative. Um, and hopefully it, it opens people up to these ideas where before it felt like it was a culture that they couldn't be part of, right? It was Wall Street and you guys are just these magical money managers. And it's like, no, I mean, the data's there. You can read this. You don't, you don't need to be an expert, but if you're gonna sit down with somebody and say, hey, manage my wealth, you shouldn't be oblivious to you know the source of of their logic and the source of their argument, so I think it's great that you come from that, and I think it's a huge uh, value add to to your investors. Now, when you're talking about gold and and making all these arguments for it, what's your stance on actually taking possession of the physical gold versus trading the paper gold? I mean, where do you stand? And I guess the one is a bit more of Armageddon type of thing. Um, yeah, but where do you stand in, in terms of that? Now is the time that the gold bugs are going to hate me. Um, I I don't <laughs> I don't um, I I love the theory, but I, I I think I think that what's happening here it's much more of a change in the business cycle than the end of the world. Uh, I don't want to think that way. I'm not a perma bear. I just think that the cycle is turning, and I don't think there's no need to uh, uh, to act that way. I'm I'm, I'm meaning uh, the physical gold thing is is interesting. I wouldn't put you know an enormous amount of my my own capital on it. Uh, if you want to put a small portion of it, great. Uh, we play this in a portfolio through futures, and 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 you know that's one major part of it, and also uh, um, just mining stocks in general, and, and and so it's more of the price appreciation bet than than holding the physical gold itself. Um, you know, either way, I mean, if you're right about it, uh, about what's likely to happen in the macro setup, you know, gold prices are going to rise. And, and, uh, and, and if, if that happens, uh, both ways are going to make money. Uh, the real question is, what are you going to do after that? Are you going to run away with I don't I just don't believe in that whole thesis. I don't think the world is going to go to uh, to hell. I think I think, you know, if we, whatever the, the change in, in, in uh, we've been through wars and in the World War One, World War Two and the world didn't go to hell. I mean, <laughs> I don't think it's going to be that bad. Meaning I think 
I think we can have uh, you know what, what people call the the fourth turning or or, or okay. you know a big change in in the uh, politically speaking, geopolitically speaking, uh, even a war between U.S. and China. I'm not calling for that, but it's possible. What if it happens? Um, I, I you know, but I I just think that that's uh, the the bet on gold is much more of a, of a turn in the cycle than than anything else. I'm, I'm not betting the world is going to end at all. Um, I think that when the markets turn down and, 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 you know, and let's say, you know, equity markets go below because um, uh, it, it works like a pendulum. Right. I mean, and so markets, uh, equity markets usually don't go back to their medium or average level in terms of fundamentals, uh, especially like P multiples or, uh, or, 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 you know, free cash flow multiples, anything you look at. Um, if, if we do surpass that, you know, I'm a buyer. I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't think the world's going to end. I think we're going to be just fine. You know, I want to buy real estate. I want to buy gold. I, I want to buy stocks and I want to be risk on kind of asset allocator at that point. Um, and I think that right now <laughs> uh, I, I'm doing exactly the opposite. I'm, I'm taking the stance of I don't see the point of, of, of buying stocks right now. I think the juice, that less juice, let's say I'm wrong and there is a there's less juice of, uh, of performance in, in equities and uh, because of this capital flows to the to the U.S., uh, given the yields are a, a little bit higher. Um, you know, let's say that does happen. What, what is it called? The, the milkshake theory theory um, um, uh, from forgot. Oh, what's his name? Uh, Brent Johnson did yep. uh, very interesting these uh, thesis. I just don't think it's worth it. You know, your your the risk um, to uh, to take that uh, um, that stance. But uh, again, that's just my view. And he could be 100 percent right. I agree with a lot of things he says, by the way. Um, and, um, and that's you know, that's the interesting point, too, of of. Uh, uh, of 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 how how you see the world because uh, um, I, I feel like the the gold bug mentality is definitely thinking that um, that the world is going to end and and, um, and and you know we're going to have a completely change and maybe because of what happened in confiscation back in the you know in in the early 1900s and so forth you know that that could happen but uh, I you know I think that that the the real play here is much more an asset price rising of those. Of those underlying securities and uh, than anything else, and I, that's where I stand on that. <laughs> I think it's I think it's great that you make that clarity because one of the things taking possession of gold at a certain point, the question I always ask, and I do have um, physical gold, but it's not like I you know have seventy percent of of my wealth in it. But the for me, the question is okay. Once you you have that, and say the gold price goes up. At the end of the day, what are you going to do? Convert it back to to fiat. Yeah. So it's um it's a tricky tricky thing. I mean, you really need to have it pegged as a as a preservation of wealth as insurance, and you're not really looking to convert it at all. It really is an Armageddon thing. Otherwise, you just need to play like you're saying the macro trends where we are in the in the business cycle, and historically, this is this has been an opportunistic play, um, and that's kind of how you're you're looking to position things. So what about the, um, I mean, from a safe haven standpoint, what is your take? I mean, I know it's not something you're, you're necessarily investing in or, or advising to, but what is your take on this movement with cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, when um, should there be this rally in the dollar? Does the reserve currency come under pressure? Again, this doesn't necessarily have to be an Armageddon thing. So take physical gold, but a lot of these factors, you just had the um, 
head of the central bank in England say that, you know, mention at the end of the week, replacing the dollar as a reserve currency, um, you would think something like Bitcoin would knee jerk to that, but it really didn't. But that's a discussion. You just didn't have central banks throwing daggers at each other like that. But I think everybody can kind of see that dollar strength is coming to a certain extent because of the flow and liquidity issues. And so how do you see cryptocurrencies playing into that conversation as well as how does that fit into your gold thesis? If it's if it's primarily just a play on on the price, where do you kind of see it fitting into the narrative about, you know, the global currency and the reserve currency? Um, I you know, I wouldn't say Bitcoin or, or, or cryptos today are in an environment that would be would be the um, the way to to go in terms of global fiat um, uh, changes, I guess. But um, I guess I guess it's a, it's a way of playing that idea of 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 going away, moving away from uh, from the dollar being a reserve currency. I think that at some point uh, things fundamentals of the country and the macro situation in the country will matter. In, in a way of of, of hurting the dollar, uh, unfortunately, uh, unfor- it's not even unfortunate. I guess the the truth is today, um, in my opinion, <laughs> is that the the fundamentals in the macro situation of those other countries that you always look at the dollar as a bilateral trade, right? It's the dollar versus whatever. The right. dollar versus anything else that you want, um, um, the British pound, the yen, anything. I mean, it's 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 really. I mean, it's not um, uh, those fundamentals of those countries are not looking uh, better than the U.S. at all. I think the U.S. looks fine in terms of that. So that's why I like the dollar uh, versus uh, versus the Hong Kong dollar and versus the the yuan's especially. But um, um, when it comes to to uh, Bitcoin and, and cryptos, I like the ideology of, of uh, I, I share the same uh, concerns about uh, us trusting, uh, you know, very indebted governments and, and a paper that uh, isn't really backed through, uh, uh, backed uh, to, uh, by something that is uh, uh, tangible or anything sustainable, like a network that is, uh, that is um, you know, that is perhaps becoming more relevant, like the, the Bitcoin network or whatever that is. Uh, you know, the dollar itself is being backed by the fundamentals in the macro situation of the U.S. and uh, and also to the rest of the world. The people that only look at the U.S. are very missing the point here. Uh, and that's why I like the dollar being the, the cleanest, uh, dirty shirt out there, honestly. But um, I, you know, I actually am uh, very close to 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 uh, forming an opinion on, on Bitcoin. And I think it's going to be. Uh, uh, a, a bullish uh, point of view uh, from my end, and, I, and then figuring out how to play that in a portfolio is kind of tricky because of the uh, custodial issue. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how we're going to have to, uh, if, in case we wanted to go there. But uh, I do think that uh, that that there is a there is a demand for that, and there is a, also a um, a use for for cryptos in general, especially when it comes to the capital outflows coming from places like China and Venezuela and very authoritarian places that need some sort of vehicle that can make the transfer of capital. And gold is not your friend in terms of that. It is your friend, but it's not as much as your friend as cryptos would do. Uh, a great job at that. Although I think that that's a important uh, uh, distinction between the two. Um, and, uh, but, um, I'm, I'm trying to really understand that the whole, uh, crypto, uh, play and I, I don't fully understand that yet. 
Um, I, I've been spending a lot of time on it, uh, reading papers and, and, and just trying to aggregate data. It's very hard to find data for it, uh, which is, for me, it's kind of a problem. Uh, but um, and I've been trying to understand, you know, the, the whole network idea is the, the one that is pro probably the most valuable one. But understanding right. are people buying those things and, and holding are they buying and selling? Is this really a transaction network or or, you know, there's so many ways you can look at that. I for me, uh, crypto does serve a uh, 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 does have a, a purpose um, uh, for, like I said, for those capital outflows today. Uh, now I don't know if if it's uh, uh, if it's going to act like gold. I mean, it's so hard to do that. I think that if you're going to bet a, a small part of your portfolio uh, on that, is is probably not a bad uh, not a bad idea. Uh, I'm not doing that today, uh, but I don't think it's it's necessarily a bad idea. It could be something that could double and triple, and, and right. probably why you don't need to size it so high, um, you know. But um, anyways, I, I, I'm not an expert of crypto, but I, I share a lot of the issues that the community and the crypto industry uh, share. And I, I think that they're ultimately right about what's happening in, in, in with central banks in general and what's the right way to do in terms of uh, going back to a gold standard. I, I think we're kind of far from all those things. Thinking in the two to three years from now, I don't think we're going anywhere close there um, in, in the next year or so. So I'm not too focused on that. I'm obviously following and I have an opinion, but I don't, you know, I, I don't think it's it's going to change much of the macro environment in the next year, at least. I think it's much, much I think the more important part is, is the cycle turning. I think that that's really where my emphasis really is of my time. But so with that in mind, the, the phase we are in the business cycle, the cycle turning, you coming from an emerging market in Brazil, and again, the China story has such a big impact on emerging markets um, like Brazil and Australia, because they're the ones that have been feeding the raw materials into China. Um, you know, being part of that um, or being familiar with the emerging market personally, especially South America, what are some things that you're seeing in, in these other countries that are reinforcing, number one, your perspective on everything we've talked about so far? not just in the currency, but in other, um, other aspects of, of the economies and, and maybe really going out that five to 10 year macro view, demographically speaking, you know, maybe regime change speaking. Do you see any opportunities in some of these countries that right now aren't necessarily a place to invest, but long term have, have uh, you know, high potential? Yeah. I think that there's a definitely a, some sort of hype towards emerging markets, at least not in the last week or so, but because of the turmoil. But um, you know, for the last, let's say, since the beginning of the year, uh, a lot of investors are, are are speaking very highly of places like Brazil, and I understand the difference of valuations of companies in general, uh, especially like CAPE ratios or PE ratios or. And any multiple you look at, Brazil looks really cheap, for instance. I'm going to pick Brazil here because it's the one that I look the most. Um, and for me, uh, you have to look back in history and see that that's actually true, but it's been true throughout the whole history of Brazil. If you would have bought Brazilian stocks in 1990s and, tr and, and converted that back to dollars, you know, and uh, uh, the, the return com converting back to dollars, and you would have bought the S&P 500 as well. Uh, you would have made a lot more money in the Brazilian stocks, believe it or not. 
uh, actually almost double the amount or most uh, more than double the amount of, of, of money. Uh, and that's considering a huge currency crash that they had in, in early 90s in Brazil and so forth, um, meaning Brazil, you know, has a, a lower multiple, but usually um, um, it's a riskier, you know, play as well. I mean, if if you if you think that uh, if you think that the emerging markets world, meaning the the commodities world and China are going to be, um, you know, their economy are going to be prosperous in the following years, I think you 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 got to have a, a bullish view on Brazil. But if you don't like, you know, like I'm in that camp, it's really hard to find a, a you know of, of the bullish thesis. Uh, supportive here for 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 Brazilian stocks. Um, so saying the Brazilian stocks are cheap today, um, it, you know, if you look back in history, they always been cheap, meaning they're always been uh, kind of a uh, you know value uh, lower multiples because of the risk of political risk, uh, economic risk, and and not being as good as an economy as other places. That's kind of obvious. Um, so that argument, I don't buy that at all. I think somebody has to really look into the. The big macro picture, and and if you if you have you know unfortunately if you have a, a a negative view, a negative outlook on China, then I think that that has to have an impact in Brazil. But when I talk to Brazilian investors and Brazilian friends that are actually investing in Brazil, I see this you know which I I just I'm I'm not a fan of that of of uh, of this uh, like I know everything you know this hubris of 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 uh, of the Brazilian stocks are going to go higher regardless, and you don't know what to do. I mean. I, I hate that hubris at all because nobody should have that hubris towards anything. I don't know what right. gold is going to do in the next years. I mean, it, right. I just have a high conviction on that. I could be completely wrong. Having hubris is one of the worst things you can have in, in terms of uh, attaching your emotions to a, an investment. I see that happening quite a lot with Brazilian investors in general. And it's it's sad because I think they're going to get burned in some point of their lives. I don't know with Brazilian stocks or whatever they, that's going to be. Um, and you can ask that question to a lot of investors and successful investors. They, you know, they share similar ideas. I would say that you know having a very strong opinion is important, but don't 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 let your hubris uh, or you know your emotions really play a, a big uh, a big uh, have a big uh, uh, role in, in that in that view. Um, so, uh, long story short, I, I am not. I don't think that the emerging markets are going to have a. Uh, are going to be the the answer here. They're not going to be um, uh, separate from the rest of the world. If the world goes south in terms of economic growth, I don't think Brazil is going to be uh, uh, going a lot higher. But I, you know, I'm obviously interested in a lot of places that have had a a very long term of uh, uh, or less five to ten years of, of of very negative growth. You know, some places in Europe, I guess, look kind of interesting. In Brazil, you know, at some point, I think Brazil is going to look really great, but um, I think the problem in Brazil here is the currency. I think the currency is going uh, to devalue significantly. If the if the yuan devalues, I can see the Brazilian real going to five, going to six. Right now, it's a four point something, and it's you know it's it's going to look ugly. That usually drives inflation higher. Historically, I've done a lot of research on correlations of of, of the depreciation of the Brazilian real versus um, uh, versus inflation and. That drives inflation higher. It drives inflation higher. That drives yields higher. Um, it's a very different scenario than the U.S. I mean, the U.S. haven't had inflation in a long time. Those countries have lived through inflationary periods for a long period of time, and it's inflation is almost like a bug. Uh, when you when you when it bites you, you 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 have that issue for a while. The U.S. <laughs> had that for over a decade. 
Um, and then it fades and then it goes away and nobody talks about it. Like in the US, nobody talks about inflation anymore. It's like this, um, you know, oh, inflation is not a thing. Yeah, it's not a thing until it is. Um, right. And then it, when it comes back, you know, again, it's like a bug and then it it bites everyone and everyone is is, is in trouble. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's sad because, you know, I mean, I can go on and on on this inflation theory, but um, at least in Brazil, uh, we're still in that situation. The inflationary uh, scenario is still the case. And if, if there is a depreciation of the currency, that problem can go back in, in a heartbeat. Uh, it can, so, yeah, it can ignite it pretty quickly. So it's. Um, I guess it's the most simplest thing anybody who's invested or never invested knows. You you buy low and you sell high. So through all of this, if we see the dollar skyrocket, um, and against all these other currencies, the Colombian peso, the Chilean peso, the real, um, Australian dollar, at what point do you sell the dollar? and start looking into these other economies as a place um, to to be buying really, really cheap assets, whether it's businesses, whether it's real estate, s- stocks. Um, is that something, again, I know it, we're, we're playing in the hypothetical, but you know, is this something that maybe you're kicking around as a, okay, what happens when all of these things that you're talking about play out, the dollar rises, gold rises, all these other emerging economies, kind of go down the toilet with the rest of the global um, output, what, at what point do you start thinking I should pivot and, and look at these other markets? Well, I think if there is really a secular shift in terms of, of the dollar being the reserve currency and the real, you know, you know, uh, uh, growth engine of the world, just like China, um, you know, if, if that shifts, I think that that's, you know, that's obviously uh, going to be a very uh, a bad for the dollar. I don't think we're there yet. There, if you look back in history, there are periods when uh, a, a recession or a bear market is unfolding, and at the same time, the dollar is rising. Why? Well, because com- people buy treasuries, and that drives the dollar up as well. Um, I kind of, you know, I, that scenario could be possible again today. Um, and, and why I wouldn't also, you know, that's it's treasuries are very tough. Um, uh, I mean, if, if gun in my head, I would be bullish, but, and I am bullish right now in the portfolio, but it's not a, um, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's a, it, things could turn it all the way very quickly in terms of the whole, the, I'm just saying the scenario for higher interest rates makes a lot of sense as well. Um, um, so, you know, it's just like the flow is really causing that, uh, to become very uh, attractive as, as a trade. And that's, that has been the case for the last, unless the last two um, um, uh, changes in the cycle, that was a very useful way of of, of protecting your, your money. Um, but I don't see in the short term, going back to your question on the dollar, I don't see uh, why uh, the dollar wouldn't rise in any scenario here going forward. Uh, if there is a situation like Brazil, uh, the U.S. is the next uh, Japan kind of situation, because, uh, yes, betting against Japan has been a tough trade, but betting against the Japanese yen has been a great trade. You know, I mean, there is no way around it. I mean, if you're going to dilute your your currency, it has to devalue. Like people give Kyle Bass, for instance, a higher time 
of of getting wrong Japan. I actually don't think he got it wrong at all. I think he got that part of sure the part of the bonds was uh, perhaps a little bit off, but that part of uh, not, not a little bit off, but the part of the the, the currency he got one hundred percent right. right. Uh, the currency the value over thirty percent from peak to trough, and that's you know for me that that's a that's an important part of the thesis because if you're long. Uh, uh, JGBs in 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 yen. I mean that you know did that work out well in dollar terms? Probably not. I'm just saying uh, you know that part of the trade that he it was a major part of the trade uh, worked out really well. And I think that that's uh, you know when you're doing things like I do in terms of like picking really good pair trades. Um, you know, sometimes one may not be the driver, but the other one can really drive the performance of the whole uh, investment. So um, I think that the the uh, the dollar right now still looks attractive, and I think it will look for the next year or so because of what's happening in China and this kind of. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I think there's a, quite a lot of investors that still think that there is going to be this change of the reserve currency in the short term, and I don't think it's going to happen that way right now. Probably, if I put that put out a poll right now on Twitter of that, you know, you see that that's a very conventional thought that everyone thinks it's going to happen sometime soon, and I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, right now, because of the uh, the implications of, of of assets being denominated in dollar and and how you know large allocators, pension funds, um, and so forth, you know they still have to they have mandates they have to hold assets in those terms, and that's the part that is tricky, I think. Um, so I think that that's all um, um, uh, uh, a little bit down the road. Uh, I I still you know I'm I'm happy to own dollars right now, and I think dollar is the best alternative. Uh, for fiat currency at 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 the moment and, and for the next year, um, and then I will revisit that if there's a, more signs of a secular shift, uh, uh, not just a secular shift, but a short-term signs really showing that you know maybe yields are going higher. That would be a bad sign for the dollar, right? Because that would be you know if yields go higher in the U.S., that would be sort of a because, driven uh, because of the, the amount of, uh, of of debt imbalances we have in the system and, and all that. And I think that that and, and, and really the the problems with uh, the, the political situation in the U.S. and all that, if that if that causes yields going higher, then that would be a change in the whole thesis of maybe people are going to be going away from the dollar. And that's kind of an interesting uh, shift. But I don't think we're there. And I, you know, and if we are there. Uh, I think it's easy to make that change. Um, and being long precious metals will do really well in this, this scenario too. So I'm uh, I'm, I'm happy holding uh, uh, that at the moment. So that transitions me into the, the last thing I want to ask you, which is all of these things you've been talking about, gold, China, we've really been looking at this, um, I think, quite well from a macro viewpoint. Um, and we just, you just addressed a question I had about the dollar and potential dollar regime change or at a certain point when dollars is uh, really strong or there are other opportunities. And your response to some extent was, you know, when there's other signals that, you know, whether it be inflation or weakness in the dollar, um, and you're not necessarily bullish long-term on treasuries, which I would assume probably has a lot to do with the amount of debt that the U.S. has. The debt is one of the, the U.S. is one of the most indebted countries in, in the history. The, that's one thing I think U.S. and China has in common. Um, and with that in mind, this is also, I think, part of your theme or thesis with the equity markets and, and the potential of a business cycle shifting here because you have so much debt in the system, not just with governments, but in, in, on the corporate balance sheet, you have a ton of zombie companies. So do you want to speak to some of the issues in the credit markets or at least 
um, the, the excesses of credit and, and how that kind of supports your theme as, as a way to wrap this up? Yeah, uh, uh, just a point about the treasuries play is that we're long treasuries in a portfolio, but more on the idea of the convergence of monetary policies between the Fed and the ECB, which I think is a very important point. As their policies become more, uh, I guess, they narrow their, their their policy rate, meaning the you know the Fed rate becomes a little, or you can measure that by just looking at EURIBOR versus LIBOR, or some, so many ways, just yields in general. But the 10-year yield in the U.S. versus the 10-year yield in, in Germany. Um, so we're short German bonds, but we're long treasuries on that trade. And has been working this year very well as uh, the spread of those two yields have been narrowing significantly. Um, mostly caused by the by the treasury side, and again, you know, but but it's uh, the the only distinction I make of that versus let's say a pair trade like being long gold and 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 short the yuan. You know, I would be happy to be uh, long them by itself in a portfolio with no problem. I wouldn't be happy just having treasuries in our portfolio uh, on its own. That that's a different question. Uh, when it comes to the amount of leverage in the system in the U.S., I don't see actually a a, a, a crazy amount. Like when it comes to like the corporate side, it's it seems bad, and and in I think that if there is a change in the cycle, obviously the junk bonds are the next ones, and uh, probably the next shoe to drop. Uh, I think it's is the junk bond market. Um, uh, but um, when you look at households, households are not too leveraged yet in the U.S. Um, the government is. Um, so there's, you know, three parts of that, that of that, um, of that whole scenario. And I think that one of them is, is a major one is the households. They're not too leveraged yet relative to other times in history. Um, but overall, the debt in the country is definitely high relative to GDP. And that creates a, you know, a, a sort of a, a scary, um, um, I guess, thought about, 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 you know, how is the U.S. going to be able to borrow money or how yields are going to play out in the, in the following years? I don't think that's a problem for today, but I think it will eventually become a problem. It's why I, I, I'm not taking a short side on treasuries yet. Um, but uh, I think that the, the biggest play here is there are some kind of interesting ideas of, of on the short side here of, uh, of things that are rising with treasuries that make no sense to me, like investment grade bonds. Investment grade bonds have been rising right along with uh, one way to look at that is LQD, the ETF rising. You know, put that out with treasuries. It's the same chart. Um, but the problem is a lot of those investment grade bonds are actually junk bonds. They're not investment grade bonds, as we know. Um, you know, especially on the leverage ratio side, they should be actually be denominated as junk bonds. And it's interesting that they're rising. It's it's in this crazy search for yield of of people buying right. those things. But if the the cycle turns. There's no way people are going to be buying that, in my opinion. I think people are going to be selling those things. And it's kind of starting to look kind of interesting. The spread between the LQD and the JNK or the investment grade bonds versus the junk bonds is starting to get to levels like it, it reached in 09 or so, which is kind of interesting, you know, because back then the spread really caused that spread back then was because junk bonds uh, plunged. This time, junk bonds didn't plunge. Is that LQD or investment grade bonds are rising significantly? It's very important to see that that difference of uh, of of what's causing the spread to rise between the two. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, uh, zombie companies in the U.S. and it's probably caused by the easy credit. You know, uh, would you know? I, I made that question the other day in another podcast. Would would Uber or uh, the Uber of uh, the Ubers of the world really survive in the 70s or the 60s? Uh, probably not. I read that book of uh, Shoe Dog, 
uh, from a, a Nike CEO, uh, Phil Knight. And it's so interesting. He tells his story about, you know, raising capital for the firm in the beginning and how he starts to, you know, you look at that versus the, 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 how easy it is today to raise capital and, in this environment is, is just insane. I mean, it's, you know, those companies would never survive. I mean, we sure maybe Uber would survive. I don't know uh, if investors would really buy into that and they would be able to really raise capital the way they've been raising and losing money every quarter. But it's uh, it's kind of I'm not picking on Uber itself. I'm picking on the whole private equity. Now it's not private anymore, but uh, the whole private equity industry is is uh, there's so many of those bubbly uh, uh, businesses out there that just makes it makes no sense at some point. Uh, we're going to see the you know the price is going to have to uh, to really converge with the fundamentals of those businesses and and I think people are pricing in that uh, we're going to have way too many Amazons out there. I mean, I don't, you know, Amazon itself was making money in, in in 2000 or so. They had free cash flow positive. They they actually did. It's not like they're losing money asking for and trying to raise capital. That's that was not the case. They had a vision and they, they were making money. Those guys have a vision that maybe that might not even be a real, realistic vision and they're losing money every quarter and asking more and more money and investors right. just giving more and more money to them. At some point, there's no way this is going to be sustainable. And it's kind of uh, interesting when you hear that it's different this time because of the fact of, of, of having negative interest rates and, and the central banks now, uh, you know, are only going to go easier and easier. At some point, that's, you know, that, that can't be either it's going to be inflationary or or either the, it's going to be a bust that the cycle is going to turn and those companies can raise capital anymore. But there has to be some sort of a, a, a go back to earth in terms of, of liquidity. You know, the liquidity is so high right now in terms of, of those firms raising capital. You're starting to see liquidity um, uh, actually dry in the equity markets already here in, in terms of looking at SPY, ETF. You know, so that's more of a retail investor purchase of, of, of stocks. You can see that that's drying significantly. You know, the anyway you look at 30 day or, or a few months of average volume of, of SPY ETF as actually be drying out significantly, which also tends to be uh, to coincide with a, 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 a market top. And it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, I, I think we're getting very close here to that third lag of our, of our, of our, uh, of our high conviction themes to start working out. And I think that that would really drive performance uh, of, of our funds. So to sum it up, we're getting towards the end of the business cycle, short stocks, maybe buy some treasuries and definitely look to buy gold. Exactly. And I, I think that for a, not, for a person who is not that sophisticated in terms of buying, you know, like selling the yuan, selling the renminbi, it's not easy to do for every Joe to do that. Um, I, you know, I don't do my personal account. I have to do through investing in the funds. So, you know, if you're if you're just uh, if, if you're in that category, I think that that is the best way to play is, is buying, uh, um, buying precious metals and, and selling stocks and perhaps buying a little bit of treasuries. The third, you know, and if you're more sophisticated, I think the macro trade of the century is it is buying gold and remember terms and selling global stocks and the most overvalued stocks you can find. And those are probably most in the U.S., Canada and Australia and some in Hong Kong and kind of China. But uh, those are the ones that I would focus. I wouldn't like short Brazilian stocks. Um, yeah, just because of where, you know, fundamentals are not uh, too wacky in terms of prices uh, versus places in the U.S. So I think that that's an important part, too. But 
looking for the most overvalued ones are, uh, is, a, is, is a big part of the process. So, Tommy, thanks for summing that up, man. That was a, a great end to this fantastic interview. I had a ton of fun. I learned a lot. I really appreciate you taking the time here on a weekend and, and thank you very much. Uh, it was a pleasure. I, I enjoyed talking to you and, and getting to know you as well, John. So thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. So how can uh, people learn more about you, keep in touch with you, follow you on social media, learn more about your fund? First one is crescat.net. Very quick. It's a website. It's easy. Uh, the second one would be uh, Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter uh, at Tavi Costa. It's very easy to find me uh, there. And I try to post things almost every day uh, on any of those topics. And uh, so I think it's it's not too hard to find me there. But Well, we'll put that in the show notes and um, hopefully everyone checks you out. And I look forward to having you back here soon. So thanks again, Tavi. Thank you very much, John. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Money MBA podcast with your host, Jonathan Katzmida. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. To access more great content, visit us online at moneymba.com. That's where the money is. And more than that, control. There's only one person in the world to decide what I'm going to do, and that's me. And I am deadly serious about that. That's it. I'm done.